it's a blessing to be here this evening. We're, we, we just love fellowshipping with you guys. We always think it's a, it's a neat deal, the bond of, of different churches getting together, because it's, it's a rare thing in many places. You know, a lot of times churches don't interact with one another. So uh, the fact that we have that, that fellowship between Sanger and here in Hanford, uh, it's a blessing. And it is a blessing to be here from Virginia, people ask. You know, how was, how was a trip driving with, with four kids and, and a dog and two cats? We had them all in the van. And I said, you know, it's not too bad. But when we started the trip, I had a full head of hair. So if that tells you anything, that's what kind of trip we had across country. But it was fun. It was great. We're glad to be here. Tonight we are going to be jumping around. Uh, one of our main texts will be in Philippians. But the title, what I want to share on is how we truly need each other and, and a look at, at fellowship because we live in a, in a very social media age. You know, we have where we seek followers and we try to follow people. You know, we're linked in to all sorts of strangers that we've never met in our life. Uh, we have tons of friends, though we've hardly talked to any of them face to face. We have... Uh, we can sit right next to people, especially if you have teenagers. You sit right next to each other without even looking up. You know, they're talk to one another through the use of their phones. Uh, you know, we know what a person ate for breakfast or lunch or dinner because we can Instagram it. But we have no clue on what their diet is in the Word of God or, or what their walk is like. We live in an age where we let everyone see everything about us, to a, in a sense, but are just are, are starving for genuine, genuine interactions. And it's, I don't fault social media. It's not social media's fault uh, for any of these, these issues. And it's not a bad thing. I, I use social media. I think it's, it's our own fault. And I, I think it's, you know, we look for ways to maybe, maybe hide or, or maybe not interact. Or we've maybe forgotten why it's important. Why is fellowship important? Or even well, how do we have that, that unique Fellowship, and, and, and before kind of getting in, I do want to give just a quick, simple definition of, of what fellowship is, because there's a misunderstanding of, of fellowship. People can think that fellowship is, is what happens when, when Christians hang out together. And fellowship can happen at those times, but fellowship isn't just, hey, we got together and we watched the Redskins lose another, another game. That's, that's, that's not fellowship. I wish it was. It would be a very spiritual thing if that was the case because that's what I'm used to. Um, fellowship in its simple definition is that of sharing of one another with Christ at the center. It's, it's a sharing. The koinonia is a sharing of, of something, and it involves around that idea of, of sharing Christ and Christ being in the center of our sharing. So tonight I just want to share on why fellowship is important and how we can have true fellowship. And so a few different passages that we're going to look at. One, fellowship allows us, it's important because it allows us to be refreshed by one another. Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3, state, How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. And this is from the New Living Translation, by the way. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head, that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe, Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Uh, So it's important because 
it's refreshed. We allow ourselves to be refreshed by one another. And, and people will ask me, you know, what's one of the challenges of, of moving from Virginia to California? And honestly, it, it's it's that not having or, or still developing that that refreshment of fellowship because you go from your group of friends where you know everybody, and now you're just learning to meet new people. You're learning to get involved with new people. Um, and so we have, you know, there's there's a blessing that we have here with, with Sean and others that we've met, but we're still we're still getting accustomed to that and still trying to meet people. We miss on that refreshment that we had of, of, of fellowship all the time. Uh, now we don't understand this whole oil down onto our heads into our beards. That seems kind of strange. We wouldn't we wouldn't find it as a refreshment if someone took a jug of oil and just dumped it over our head today. Uh, but to kind of understand what is this this idea of refreshment? Why is it like oil? Think of it, I like Pepsi. If you're Coke people, that's fine too. Cherry Coke's not bad. Um, but if, if it's a hot day, which is what it normally is here in, in the Central Valley, and you're just so thirsty and you get a, a nice ice-cold glass of Pepsi from the fridge and drink it down, that's that idea of, of refreshment or that plunge into a swimming pool on a hot day or um, that, that shower that rinses you off when you're just filthy, dirty, and, and you come out refreshed. You're no longer that way. That's, that's that idea of this oil. It's a refreshment. And so when other believers get together and there's, there's fellowship, spirits are refreshed, there's harmony, and there's peace. So fellowship allows us to be refreshed by one another. Fellowship's important because it allows us to comfort one another. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, read, Bless it, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with a comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know, we all go through tough times. We all go through hard times. And sometimes we might feel that we're all alone. I have no one that understands. I don't know who I can relate this to. But we're not alone, and, and that's, that's the key to remember. We're not alone in our trials. We're not alone in our troubles. And when we are in fellowship with one another, we get to receive comfort from others, others who have gone through that, which we're going through, or others who are, are about to go through it, or others who are going through it and can share and comfort with how the Lord has taught them. Um, you know, and, and if you're going through tough times right now, two exhortations one, look for a brother or sister that you can talk to and fellowship with and, and share and, and share those struggles. Don't, don't go through them by yourselves. Don't try to, to handle it by yourselves. Uh, so seek out that, that person. Uh, and if you've just come from something, look for someone that you can go and share with. Because oftentimes, as the scripture tells us, he gives us comfort so that we can comfort others. It's not so we can just praise the Lord and say thank you for comforting me. It's so that we can use that which we learned to comfort other people and to give them that peace. I think we understand that when someone says, you know, I've been through that. I don't maybe know exactly how you're feeling verbatim, but I, I understand. And this is how, how the Lord brought me through it. And it feels wonderful to know I'm not alone in that. And I can, someone can relate to me in that. And so fellowship allows us to comfort one another. And, and, and remember, your trials that you go through, again, they're not just to grow you. Sometimes we think, oh, it's growing me. But it's so that you can grow someone else, too. We look at Job, and Job's a great book for all of us to learn from. But Job wasn't told millions of people are going to read the book of Job and be comforted by what you went through. 
And so he went through trials that we could be comforted. And the Lord gives us trials that we can comfort others. So look for those that, that you can comfort. A fellowship also allows us to be there for one another. Ephesians 4, verses 9 through 12. Or Ecclesiastes, sorry. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? The one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. We were never meant to be alone. We weren't created in that way to be alone. We were meant to have companions. We were meant to have fellowship. Um, but when we choose to be alone, as some do, some choose alone, when you fall, there's going to be no one to lift you up. And, and sometimes people complain, oh, there was no one there for when I fell. And the question is, well, have you made yourself available? So that there is someone there when, when we fall, when we stumble, when we have a hard time. When we're in fellowship, we're able to know one another's needs. We're able to, to understand what's going on in that person's life. And we're able to lift that person up or be lifted up to have our, our needs met. That only happens when we're communicating with one another, when we're sharing with one another, when we're fellowshipping with one another. So fellowship allows us to help one another out. And fellowship was part of what the early Christians were devoted to. Acts 2.42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. You know, back in those days, it wasn't a social norm to be a Christian. It wasn't a cultural thing to be a Christian. Church was not a, a culture. You didn't go to church. And so for the early Christians, they were all they had. Because you would be fired from your job for being a Christian oftentimes. You'd be persecuted. And so they really understood, I need these people. I need the church. I need them as a family. And so they made it their, their life. They were devoted to it. They were steadfastly continued to, to have it because they understood the importance of fellowship. And so fellowship is important for, for these reasons and, and many others. And many say, well, Okay, I understand why we need it, but I, I'm having a hard time finding true fellowship. I don't know how to truly get that fellowship that you speak of. Well, I would say first, and, and this we're in our text now, Philippians 2, 1 through 4, I say, seek and strive to be like-minded. Philippians 2, 1, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, in other words, have you been, have, do you find your consolation in Christ? The answer is Yes. Have you have been, if there's any comfort of love, so have you been comforted by the Lord? The answer should be yes. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, again, yes. If any affection and mercy, again, yes. Then, Paul would say, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So to be like-minded, the first thing we have to do is not do anything out of selfish ambition. And, and not all ambition is selfish. You know, just because you're ambitious doesn't mean it's selfish ambition. It depends on the heart motivation. Now, there's, there are those out there that have ambition to run a marathon, have an ambition to run 26 miles straight, 
Why? I have no clue. I haven't understood that. That's, that's one of those mysteries of, of, of the universe. Why someone chooses to put their body through that much pain. But they have an ambition to do it. And it's not wrong. Unless the ambition now is a, more of a selfish reason to, you know, to have some way to be lifted up with pride or, or whatnot. I mean, we don't know. But it can be an ambition to run 26 miles. It can be an ambition. You can have a lot of ambition to do things for the Lord and go out and, and, and preach for the Lord or go out and witness or go out and serve. All those are great ambitions. But if they become ambitions to where I want people to see me so that I can be praised, now it becomes a selfish ambition. So ambitions in and of themselves aren't bad. But when it becomes a selfish ambition where it's about us and what we can do, then it's a poor thing. And so Paul would say, don't, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. What are, your, what are your heart motives of the things you do? Secondly, he would say, don't do anything out of conceit. Or another version says vain glory. Now, Webster's 1828 Dictionary, you think, well, why the 1828 Dictionary? Now, if you're ever looking for a great definition, go back to the early Webster's when Daniel Webster actually wrote the thing. And, and, and read because it's, there's a lot of scripture involved in his definitions of things. So Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines conceit or vainglory this way. It's favorable or self-flattering opinion, a lofty or vain conception of one's own person or accomplishments. A favorable or self-flattering opinion, a lofty or vain conception of one's own person or accomplishments. In other words, it's, I mean, you're just... Think too highly of yourself is another way to put it. So he says, don't do anything out of conceit. Don't do anything where you're thinking too highly of yourself. And third, Philippians says, in humility, esteem others better than yourself. Now, we have a false concept of what humility is. Humility is not, you know, a loathing of of who you are. Oh, I'm such a horrible person. I can't do this. I can't do that. With hopes of someone saying, man, you're so humble. It's not me, it's the Lord. You know, that's, I mean, that's not humility. That's, that's a kind of a sickness in the sense of, of we're trying to, to get others' approval of, of how bad we are. Humility is not self-loathing. It's, it's a realness of who we are. It's, a, it's an understanding of our strengths and our weaknesses. You can be humble and confident, and, and they're, they're not mutually exclusive terms. Uh, humble, humility is an idea of, that we're not putting masks on to hide who we are. You know, I'm not going to put a mask on to say I'm the parent of the year and never have issues with my kids. I'm not going to put a mask on and, and pretend I've ne- I never get mad or I never sin or any of these things that we can put our masks on. Humility is, is a stripping of that. It's a, it's a realness with people. And you see is what you get. That's, that's humility. And in this humility, we place others first. So much so that we forget that we're in the back of the line. So to speak. I mean, we're just so interested in, in others and seeing the Lord accomplish the work in others' lives and, and, and putting others first that we don't even realize that we're in the back. Um, that's, that's this idea of, of esteeming others better than ourselves. As one guy said, he said, If I consider you above me and you consider me above you, a marvelous thing happens. We have a community where everyone is looked up to and no one is looked down on. And, and that's... Paul's saying striving to esteem others better than ourselves. And lastly, in this idea of how do we be like-minded after not doing anything out of vainglory, not doing anything out of ambition, selfish ambition, doing, esteeming others better than ourselves. Lastly, we look out not for the interests of our own, but for the interests of others. Now, I grew up in a big family with many brothers and sisters. And, and there are certain nights, and maybe you can relate, to where the food was just better than other nights. Pizza night for us. 
The goal of pizza night for me as a kid was I'm going to eat as much as I can so that I get more than the others get. I don't know why. I mean, you don't really taste it. You're just, I need more pizza. And if I can get three pieces in, then I get three pieces and they can't get, you know, one or two. That, that is not looking out for the interests of others. That's me just looking out for the interests of my own self. I want to eat as much pizza as I can. Likewise, like-mindedness is, is that idea of, of, you know, I'm not looking out for just my interests. How can, I, how can I better this person? What can I do? That's what like-mindedness will produce. And if we need a, an example of, of one who was like-minded, one who did these characteristics, you can read verses 5 through 11 of, of Philippians 2 on your own. And it gives an example of Jesus, and it points to Jesus and shows that he was one who made himself of no reputation, that he humbled himself, that he was obedient even to death, and those things. And, and Paul paints that picture, says this is who Jesus was, this is who we should strive to be like. And, 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 and like-mindedness is, is going to do that. It's going to create, in a sense, a huge vacuum where self was, and instead we are now going to be looking for ways to unite, ways to fellowship, ways to help others out. That's what, what like-mindedness does. It keeps us from thinking about ourselves, and we start focusing on others, and then we start to experience that, that fellowship because we're no longer thinking about ourselves. We're looking to see how we can better someone else. And so when we're striving to be like-minded, as Paul writes, then the next thing we should do is, is seek to get involved with others. It's hard to have fellowship if we're not being involved in other people's lives. You know, if we just if our purpose of church is just to come, sit, listen, and leave, then you're missing out on why we have this, why God this designed this thing called church. It's not just so that we can get fed and worship, it's so that we can interact with one another, so that we can relate to one another, so that we can share with one another. And so look look to get involved. I mean, find out what are the ways that you can fellowship with other people, other believers. I understand, you know, Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, especially if you're kids. It's not easy because your kids are tugging on you. Once kids learn to walk, you know, your social, your, your ability to socialize goes out the window. You know, when you have little kids, those who have little kids, and like, I can't wait till they can walk. Yes, you can wait. Believe me. I thought the same thing, too, once they learned how to walk. Like, why did I want them to walk? Because they're just, they want to go. And it's hard to fellowship because you can't really have time to really talk with someone. It can happen, but it's a little bit harder. So we look for those ways to get involved outside of that and understand if, if you want a fellowship that you have something to offer others. God has given each of us gifts and talents and abilities, not for ourselves, but to share with, with, with the body, share with others. And you have something to offer. Sometimes people think, I can't really talk to that person because, you know, I'm just not in that same class with them or I don't have a personality or I don't have this or I don't have that. You know, God has given us things that, that he wants us to use to relate to others. And, and, and there's, there's no one that's just a nobody in the church of God. There's no nobodies because God has given each of us ways to, to interact, ways to gifting that we need to use. So seek to use those and understand that you have something to offer. You may be introverted. You have something to offer. <laughs> Even if it's just a listening ear, you have that to offer. So, so understand you have that. And I think unplug Unplug from the social media and plug into being a social. You know, maybe maybe groups scare you. Maybe that is a scary thing. I, I don't know. Going to someone's house I don't know with a bunch of people I don't know, that's kind of a scary thing. Understand that. I mean, being an introvert, there's nothing wrong with being an introvert. I, by nature, am an introvert. But you can find one or two people that you can connect with. You can find those that will be there.
okay? Invite them to dinner. Oh, that kind of scares me. I'm not really a good person that can, can make dinner. I don't know what to, to make. And I can't take them to the restaurant because I don't have money. All right, well, take them to Starbucks and you that Starbucks. I hate coffee. Well, what's wrong with you? How do you hate coffee? There's, there's also tea. So if you get tea, well, I have Starbucks, I can't afford it. Fine, go to McDonald's. They have a dollar sweet tea. If you don't like sweet tea, they have a sure they have sweet tea too. But it's a dollar, and you can take them out, and you can just talk at McDonald's and fellowship. But find some way to get involved with someone. Find some way to talk. You know, and, 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 and people think, well, I don't know what to talk about. I don't know what to to, to even begin. Just start sharing. They can start by sharing your testimony. Thank you. Yeah, I, I figured. Some of you thought, wow, that, I have no idea what he said, talked about the last three minutes. <laughs> it's the most amazing thing you ever heard, so I don't know how you, how you get the tape. But. <laughs> but, but, you know, just start sharing. Don't, don't think, oh, I, I don't know what to share. Just, I mean, talk about your testimony. We all have that. Hey, this is what the Lord's done in my life. Well, it's, it's kind of boring. I grew up in a Christian home, and hey, that's not boring. You can share that. And you can share what the Lord's been doing in your last week. What he's been teaching you. I mean, you just start to share. That's where fellowship comes in is the sharing with one another of, of, of what's going on. And you're sharing Christ and saying, this is, this is what he's taught me. And then and, and people will respond, wow, well, this is what the Lord has, has taught me. And, and you begin to get that fellowship. But it, it has to start somewhere. And so unplug. You know, next time you feel led to, you know, just conversate on Facebook, which, again, is not wrong. Uh, just maybe pick up the phone or just shoot a message and say, hey, I'm inviting you. Why don't you, why don't you come out and, and let's hang out? I mean, start, start somewhere. But, but we, need, we need each other. We need that fellowship. We need uh, that communion with one another. And it doesn't take much. It really doesn't. Uh, even if you're an introvert, it doesn't take much. Just invite. And you can start tonight. You know, you can start experiencing fellowship tonight. In a service, we have time just and start talking to someone and say, "Hey, you know, I'm kind of new here. I don't know really what's going on. Can I? Can we get together? Can we hang out? You know, see see where it leads. Um, you know, you may be getting fed. You may be growing in your walk with the Lord. But if you aren't fellowshipping with others, then you're missing out on that other side of of what church has to offer. People leave church because. The, the, the church body because they're not experiencing fellowship and oftentimes it's, it's their own fault for not experiencing that fellowship but look for it look to, to, to get that now we're going to, to take communion here in just a, in a little bit and communion is part of that fellowship we are fellowshipping with the Lord when we, when we take of communion. It's a chance for us to remember what the Lord has done for us. It's a remember for us to reflect back on the cross and remember that his blood was shed for our sins, that his body was broken for our sins. And we get to commune with the Lord. That's, that's what we have. This, that's what's called communion, as we are communing with the Lord. And it's more than just a chance for us to... To, to eat of the bread and entering of the cup. It should be a remembering of what the Lord has done for us. And in this whole idea of fellowship too, remember what the Lord ha- has done for you and what he's done for others. And, and you know, maybe in this time of, of communion, it is, it is for you to take 
by yourself, but maybe you want to get with another brother or sister and you just want to pray together uh, and, and, and pray for one another. And that's fine too. I encourage you to do that. Take two or three people if you want and, and just pray and then take it together. But it's going to be open for you to take of yourself, uh, by yourself. And again, as you do that, remember what the Lord's done for us because he's given us such a great price. He's, he's, he, he knows who we are. I mean, we can be humble because he, we, we can't put on masks for the Lord. He sees through it all. And so we come and we, and we come to the Lord's table and we can just thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for, for who you are, what you've done. And so use that as a time to fellowship with the Lord. And if, if you seem led with fellowship with one another, let's, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll open up the table. Lord, we thank you. 